Hey, welcome to Genre Exposure, a film podcast. Join us as we explore the wide world of cinema, broadening our horizons one movie at a time. I'm one of your hosts, Dustin, and as usual, I'm here with Michael. Hey, everybody. And Jason. Hey, everyone. What's up, guys? How you doing? Doing good. I'm pretty good. Always good to be sitting around doing a little podding, you know, talking about movies. I'm excited for more musicals. Well, you're getting them. Today we are <laughs> talking about... That's the weirdest intro ever. It's the only thing we got. Uh, yeah, sure. Why not? Weird. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we are talking about Phantom of the Paradise from 1974. Brian De Palma. Yay. My finally, finally getting some De Palma on the show. I picked a movie that I knew Dustin would like because I need that information right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen. By nature, I usually rate this one a five star. Mm-hmm. But I tried to be a little more critical this time just, okay. to, just yeah. to, for sake of discussion. Sure, sure. Uh, but it's not a perfect movie. I agree. It was a first watch for Michael. That'll be interesting mm-hmm, to get his mm-hmm. take. Yeah. He's, been, he's been very cagey all week. Cagey? I don't know any of his thoughts yet. It's been Nicholas Cage. Oh, it's because I watched it this morning. Oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> you know I can't watch. You know I have to watch these the day we record or else my brain's just like. He's Mr. Short-Term Memory. <laughs> yeah. He just forgets. Okay, cool. Um, but first, we're going to talk a little bit about stuff that we've been watching. Yeah, what have we been watching? Jason. Oh, God. You okay. got no shout outs? Sorry, I brought it up. Listen, man, I'm I'm like 50 hours every week right now at so, work. Sorry, so I brought it up. It's not happening. It'll, it'll come Thank back you, one Michael. day. Thank you, Michael. Wish for it and hope for it. And it'll be back. <laughs> I wish mean, I guess one of us could do it. <laughs> wish in one hand, shit in the other. <laughs> See which piles up first. Okay, well, unfortunately, I must uh, report on a movie that was very disappointing. Boo. Oh, no. I know. It is called Draug. 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 Draug? Uh, yes, it is from 2018. Is that Smaug's cousin? <laughs> I think so. Um, I'm pretty Sick sure it's cousin. Swedish. Um, but here is the synopsis, and it sounds awesome. In the late Viking Age, a missionary traveling with a group of soldiers vanishes somewhere in a vast border forest in the northern part of Sweden. A rescue party is sent out to find them, but inside the dark woods, there is something waiting for them. Something dark and ancient. Well, that sounds badass. Okay. It sounds like a good Morkborg adventure or something. Yeah, it does. You know? yeah. Um, I'm there for it. And it starts off great. Like, the first act's pretty cool. You're getting to meet your characters, you know. Um, everybody seems authentic. Um <laughs> Did that, did that come in there? It did, it did. Yeah, a little bit. Was that your bra strap? What was that? Yeah. <laughs> He's over here scratching. Okay. My arm itched. <laughs> um, uh, starts off nice, you know, kind of moody, a bunch of Vikings hacking around the forests. You know, they get attacked by some bandits at one point, and that's when things go south, because I realized that this was a very low-budget production. Yeah. You don't notice it first, because... Mm-hmm. You know, because you've got the whole... I mean, they're already Swedish, you know. So it's easy for them to sell the whole Viking thing. <laughs> you, you, wait, hold on. Do you think that Swedish people walk around looking like Vikings every day? They don't. If the heavy metal videos I've been watching are, you know, in any way true, yes. Oh, man. If we have any listeners in Sweden right now... um, Please just bust Jason's bubble, or or show up. I on- didn't mean how they look. I meant like the language and stuff, you know, because we don't know modern, you know, Swedish language from like medieval Swedish language. We can't tell because we don't speak the language. I mean, so the movie was bad, huh? The movie was bad. <laughs> Eventually, I realized that these were probably like really, really good larpers that just decided to make a movie. Mm. Um, but they just, oh man, 
they did all the wrong things. Because when action happens, they it does this weird arbitrary slow motion thing. Oh, I hate that. Not even like a ramping, hmm. just arbitrary slow motion. It's basically to hide poor choreography. Yeah. And they like a shaky cam type thing. I hate it. Right. I hate it. And they discovered that you can use filters and plug-in effects oh, easily no. and cheaply. And it just looks like shit. Oh, no. <laughs> and they, wow. did, they didn't need to do that. It could have been so good if they just stayed away from that crap. I think about movies like uh, Headhunter. Yeah. That, I defend that one. But <laughs> okay. No, no, I do too. And that's where I'm going with it. That you can take... You don't have to do that shit. Right. You can just show it, like just film it, keep it in camera, zoom out, let everybody see and, everything. I, I got a headhunter vibe from this movie at first. Jason got just... very defensive because in the pre-podcast days when it was just the movie club, he brought headhunter and I uh, savaged it. Oh, I don't. I <laughs> in our discussion afterwards, I don't ever call headhunter anything other than what it is. Yeah, I mean, especially a, a little too bit long of a short film. Yeah, and it's a more of an art project than anything. But I enjoyed it anyway. Go watch Headhunter instead of Draug, is what I'm saying. <laughs> Draug. So, unfortunately, yes, I must report. I agree. That frustrates me. Zoom out. Even if your choreography's flawed, zoom out and let me see it, and I'll give you a pass. Yeah, I see. But like, don't try to it, hide it. doesn't it. need to be, especially when we're talking about just big brawny fighters, it doesn't need to be this elegantly choreographed. Mm-hmm. It's people bashing into each other. Yeah. Just, I mean, if uh, some people, I remember some people talking some shit about the choreography in The Northman, and I was like... What did you want? He's it's a like, dude going around hacking people. What like, choreography? Half the people he kills are helpless civilians. One swing is all it takes. <laughs> yeah. You don't yeah. have to have a big sword fight. Literally, a dude just walks up and hacks a guy and, down. And they're literally drugged up in the movie. You know, the whole berserker thing. Yeah. Anyway. That's go watch movie. The Northman yeah. instead. Yeah, The Northman's yeah, a good one. Go yeah. watch that. Northman is fucking great. All right, man. How about you, Michael? What would you watch? Well, I watched one that was also kind of disappointing. Oh, no. I, I hope know. that Dustin watched a good one. I got, I got us. I'll okay. say Um so I watched one that came out uh, in t- uh, 2017 called Anna and the Apocalypse. Oh, the uh, Christmas zombie apocalypse musical. Thing. Yes. I like, a lot of people like that movie. You're, you're on brand. I haven't seen it. I, I watched it because I'd been wanting to watch it. Shudder got it. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, well, this is a good time to watch it because around the musicals month. We're approaching December, too. Ah, uh, man. Didn't like it. It's just uneven. Like, hey, that's my line. I know. Jason. <laughs> it's, it's very, so it starts off pretty strong. Um, it, it, to me, the musical side leans a little bit too high school musical for me, mm-hmm. um, where there's a lot of choreography, uh, dance moves in the high school and stuff like that. Some of the songs are catchy. And when I thought about it, like one of the big songs of the, of the early part is called like... Um, there's no Hollywood ending or something, you know, mm-hmm. and it's basically like everybody lamenting how their life is going to be shit and they're not going to get what they want. Mm-hmm. And then the zombie apocalypse happens. They steal way too much from Shaun of the Dead for that. Like mm-hmm. there's a whole scene where she's walking down the street singing a, a song while the zombies are killing people and she doesn't notice. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, okay, well, if Shaun of the Dead wasn't like so fucking great. <laughs> there's a difference between an homage and a ripoff. It was... <laughs> It was too much. Like it was, vi- it was too yeah. on the nose for that. Yeah. So I was already like, okay, well, they're not nailing the zombie thing. Uh, also, I'm just fucking over zombies. Yeah, it doesn't help. I mean, especially after the sadness. I know yeah. you didn't watch that one, Michael, but no. Geez. But like for Halloween, we went and watched Dawn of the Dead mm-hmm. at the theater in 3D. So good. And I'm just reminded of how what a zombie movie should be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What it can be. Yeah. And then you're just. 
I don't know. Like, I'm not going to shit on your parade. If you love Walking Dead, if you love the zombie thing right now, good on you. I'm just real tired of it. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's anything new is happening with no, it. No, no. Besides one cut of the dead. Yeah. It's pretty much a dead genre, in my opinion. I just don't feel that Anna and the Apocalypse hit what it's trying. It's doing multiple things, and I just don't felt like it hit any of them well. Hmm. Like, I don't think it hit the musical side well, because some of the songs feel very out of place they feel very forced it doesn't it felt like they had the scene of the movie and then they wrote the song around it Mm -hmm. rather than have the song and make the movie if that makes sense Mm -hmm. have you seen uh dead and breakfast yeah i love dead Dead breakfast yeah i was gonna say this isn't the first zombie apocalypse uh musical didn't you see that in the theater were you there with me i was there yes and i actually no shit um i quoted dead and breakfast just earlier this evening yeah uh because my wife was telling me about some patient she had in their hemoglobin and i just responded with i like hemoglobin (laughs) in my mouth (laughs) and every time she says hemoglobin i sing that she's like god damn it just stop it uh we, I, one of our instructors when i was with the disability office she she uh was not english was her second language so she called it hemoglobin <laughs> <laughs> that's a different band <laughs> yeah I, what I will give Anna and the Apocalypse is that it did go very dark and very bleak. Mm. So it I still was, leaned into like oh heavily zombie heavily film. leaned into that. But at one point, I started to feel like they're just killing people off for the fun of it. Mm. There's no weight. Oh, it is fun. You can't but there's just no weight to the deaths. Yeah, you know, like I don't know. In Dawn of the Dead, when somebody like in Romero's Dawn of the Dead, when somebody you died, it. you really are like, "Fuck!" It either needs to be yeah. creative and entertaining, or you have to feel it, one or the other. And I don't think this did either. So it's sitting at six on IMDb. I can see the appeal for some people, but it just didn't hit for me at all on huh. any of the things. What it was rating trying would you do. give it? Like a three, maybe two and a half out of ten, or stars. Oh or no, uh, of my letterbox, I oh, would okay. go like okay. I go like maybe two, two and a half. You mentioned the IMDb rating, so three. Oh, because I'm looking at it, so I'm staring at it. <laughs> okay. I don't know what else to say. So it's very. Jason, average. he's using data to support his <laughs> lieutenant <analysis>. commander data. <laughs> and so, then there's like some ad on IMDb right now with some mech walking around, and I just am now more in enthralled <laughs> <laughs> with this with this trailer with some mech, and I'm like, this looks cool. This is better than Annie and the Apo- Anna and the Apocalypse. So I guess moral of the story: go watch the Northman, go watch Dead and Breakfast. Yeah, you'll be better off. <laughs> we should just do a, our podcast is turning into here's the shit we watch. Here's a better version <laughs> yeah. of that that you should go watch instead. Okay, well I have a movie I really loved. Okay, this is again going back into October watches, but I knew I had to share it on here because you it has don't a have to tell anybody that podcast connection. Okay, um, Severin does those cool box sets all the time now. Yeah. Uh-huh. And they recently did one for House of Psychotic Women, mm-hmm. which is that very famous film book. Um, they even did like a new pressing of the book, and they sold it in like a bundle. I picked it up, of course. So during October, I was finally cracking into that a little bit, and I realized one of the films from 1975, Footprints, sometimes also known as Footprints on the Moon, is directed by Luigi Bazzoni. Uh-oh. A.K.A. our guy from um, The Fifth Chord. Yeah. Nice. And it was described online as like a giallo. So I was like, hmm, I got to do this then. So it's about this woman named Alice who's working as like a translator. Uh, She goes to like big conferences and stuff and will like transcribe what's being said and translate it into different languages. And one day she like misses a really important event. 
and it's so such a thing like she's gonna maybe lose her job and she doesn't understand her sense of time she realizes like the day she thinks it is it's a few days later and so she has this gap of missing time and her only clue is she's got this postcard that's randomly in her apartment and it references this hotel on the island of Garma. And so, unable to rectify things, she travels to Garma, to that hotel, to try to piece together what went on and what happened. And it becomes a thing where like people on the island know her, but they recognize her as someone else with a different name and a slightly different hairstyle. And so it's just kind of her like on this island exploring, meeting weird people, having strange interactions and trying to unravel what happened and what went on. Um, it's not really a giallo. I'm going to say this falls into that category of like uh, like a Suspiria or something, where like if you're not such a stickler on giallo like we are, you see it's a dude who made a giallo. It kind of has some of the vibes of it, so then you just give it the pass, but it's not, it's not really. Mm. It's, Did she it, happen to have a mutated little brother on no. her back of her head? No, no, no. Okay. Mm. Just curious. <laughs> Hey, I liked him a little bit. I thought yeah, yeah, you would. Um, but this one's got like a great, like really slow, moody vibe to it. Um, Bazzoni's still doing his trademark stuff. Like you've got the, everything's cast in blue at times or a stark red. Um, really heady, really like, what's the truth? Is it, is she have like a split personality or what's going on? And it really spirals into this crazy ending that I don't want to spoil for sure because it's worth a watch. Uh, I do believe all these are on Shutter right now, so it's easy to pop over there and check it out. Nice, excellent. But I loved it. I thought it was great. How would you compare it to the Fifth Chord quality-wise? Um, hmm. It's hard because the Fifth Chord has Franco Nero. Right. Yeah, that's automatic, like mm-hmm. one star um, right there. Mm-hmm. And I'll say, like, I'll always go for a Giallo more than a film like this because this is much more subdued. Mm. Like, there's not many kills in it, even. But what it does is so cool and impressive. And I don't know a lot of films I would say are kind of like it. So. Interesting. Pretty unique. Pretty fun. Okay. What if Franco Nero was in it? Oh, yeah. that's. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, tempt me with that, man. I don't know. Okay. Um, I want to talk about one other thing. Another trying to kick out all these uh, holiday watches to wrap up. Um, so again, I do a lot of J horror stuff all the time. No. There is a series of like anthology TV specials in Japan that have existed since like the 90s. Um, It's called Honto ni Ata Kawaii Hanashi. And in the US, it's just kind of termed as scary true stories. Mm -hmm. Um, The original like special was super influential on the whole like J horror boom with the ring and all that stuff. Um, And it was from the 90s. And we actually got that over here on a DVD. Um, I think it was just called Scary True Stories, and it was just like a collection of all the shorts. I think I saw some of them. Because the whole premise of it is they would run it like every summer, and people from all around Japan would write in with like real horror, like scary ghost stories or encounters they had with like the supernatural. And then they would pick a selection and film like little dramatizations of them. Hmm. So it's like just an anthology show of those letters. So... Recently, a bunch of these have been fan translated online. So again, this is that weird go into the gray area of the internet. But like, from about like 2014 up to like 2021, there's one or two missing in between. But they've all had translations done for them by fans. So I checked out a bunch of these, and man, they're just they're just so much fun. Each one's like a little short. Like I think each special is about uh, like an hour forty or so, and then they each have like six segments. 
So they're not super long, but man, so good. So much fun. I love that we now say that an hour and 40 minutes is not super long, and that used to be like the standard runtime for well, a film. Where it's like six stories, and it's an anthology. Like You're never too much in with one thing. Yeah, you're getting like 20, 25 minutes. Yeah. Oh, I thought you meant there's an hour 40 a piece. No, 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 no. Oh, no, I was no. like, no, I was no, like no. that's a feature film, bro. Yeah. No, no, it's like a TV special thing, so like it's probably like a two-hour block, uh, uh, and then you the commercials is the missing chunk of time. I understand yeah, now. Yeah. So they're super fun. Um you have to go searching for them. It's the only thing, unfortunately. Mm. Even that scary true stories DVD is like super out of print now and hard to find. So well, I still, I'm still laughing in our uh, group chat the other day when we were discussing what we would have done had we won that two billion Powerball. Oh, <laughs> yeah, and Dustin just immediately like, I just bring over all the weird Japanese shit. Yeah, <laughs> become a distributor. Yeah. Why well, am I, I not surprised? I would be the criterion of weird Japanese shit. <laughs> That would be your labels. Weird Japanese shit. <laughs> and he knows his market. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's not trying to be anything he's not. All right. Well, today we are talking about Brian De Palma's Phantom of the Paradise from 1974. That's right. A cult classic, to be sure. Mm-hmm. Sadly overshadowed by another little film that came out just a few years later. What would that be? It may or may not be the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh yeah, that little one. Yeah. I was. I didn't do. <laughs> I didn't really do any research on this one because you know I'm lazy. Mm. Um, we get those raw like you know feelings out of you. So yeah, that's what you. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> just to rub <laughs> you raw. <laughs> I wondered. Where this fell in Rocky Horror, I mean, I guess I would have known if I'd have known what year Rocky Horror came out. But I, I well, didn't. I think the musical was was going around at the time, correct? Because this came out in seventy four, and Rocky Horror came out in seventy five. I just told you I didn't do any research, and you just said, <laughs> "I'm just, I'm just saying, like logically, mm-hmm. I think the actual musical would have been doing the rounds while this was out." So I wonder if there was any influence because I didn't see any of that in my research. What I did. Interesting. I mean, how could there not be? I don't know. I mean, it's also possible that the Palma never saw well, the, the other Rocky thing, Picture Show. Too, and I, w- I wanted to get into this later. Rocky but Horror Show, rather. A lot of the stuff that this film's going to as source material, Rocky Horror is also going to as source material. Yeah. Uh, it might like just be Frankenstein. A, it might stuff. just be a case of, you know, what's that? What's that phenomena when two things that aren't connected <laughs> happen to follow the same you line? You mean a synchronicity. Thank you. That's Phenomena. what I'm talking about. Um. <laughs> Phenomena. Um, should we? Is that our copyright strike for this? Probably. Time? Yeah. <laughs> With a synopsis, I guess. Do you have it, Jason? Or yeah, I? sure. Here's the synopsis: A disfigured composer sells his soul for the woman he loves, so that she will perform his music. However, an evil record tycoon—they could have just said record tycoon—betrays him <laughs> and steals his music to open his rock palace, the Paradise. Because of course. Because of course. Uh, yeah, this is 1970s Brian De Palma. If you've never watched 1970s Brian De Palma, you're missing out. It is over the top, kind of crazy. I realized some things while I was watching this that I didn't think of before. Oh, I bet Sam Raimi was inspired by this movie. Do you think so? To no small degree. I've never heard him talk about it, mm-hmm. but it would shock me if he wasn't. I read an interesting theory about this as well. I thought you didn't do any research. <laughs> I... Uh, a tiny You're reading bit. it right now, aren't you? <laughs> Guys, I just uh, found out this interesting theory. 
No, I, I did. Um, I was looking up some other things, um, pornography, and then came across this. Um, <laughs> At least your computer's muted this time. <laughs> no, um, De Palma and George Lucas were really good friends. Oh, yeah. They were mm-hmm. part of that whole new Hollywood. Crowd. And there's a, a whole underground group of people who feel that um, the Phantom is the inspiration for Vader. With oh, that whole, like, that, yeah. breathy... Because this is 74, and Star and he does have, like, the modulator to yeah, his voice. that wouldn't surprise me one bit. Because they all collaborated. Yeah. They were all bouncing ideas off each but, other. But, like, when stuff. that person suggested that, I could not stop seeing that. Like, mm-hmm. that's yeah, all I could see, I could see, see at that point. get the whole box point. in the front. Like, yeah. It, yeah. I mean, Star Wars would have been a very different movie. <laughs> <laughs> wow. If, uh, if, if he was the Phantom. <laughs> that would have been interesting. <laughs> it would be. So genre-wise, of course, we're dealing with a musical. Mm-hmm. Online, the tags I've seen this receive are comedy, drama, fantasy. I've also seen it thrown in the horror pile, but yeah. Yeah, I, I think if you're into horror, it's going to hit a lot of things you love. Sure. I mean, it's not a scary movie, but it has all that imagery you associate mm-hmm. you know, with, with horror. Uh, especially once it starts um, satirizing shock rock bands. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get to that. So then, yeah, musically, it's definitely a rock opera. Um, again, I think there's elements of glam rock in this one with some of the some of the performances, not all of them. There's also a huge horror connection having Jessica Harper. Yeah, I wish you guys would have told me Jessica Harper was in this. That's a I, surprise for you because I love her. Yeah, she's great. She does her own singing too. I think she's pretty good. She is really great. Mm-hmm. You could tell it was her too. Just yeah. the confidence was there. Mm-hmm. Her dancing, I'm not so sure about, but her singing was pretty good. <laughs> I feel like. Um, Garrett Graham also did his own singing. He did not, actually. He did not, no. oh, he did damn. not sadly. He sold the <laughs> shit out of it. But we'll, we'll get to him. So, And I'm also assuming since De Palma wrote this, this was written for the film. It was not written for like a musical Correct. outside right, it was of film this. First, it yeah. was just... Mm-hmm. Someone did put on a stage production of it later, but it was made as a film initially. Yeah. I also want to point out it was produced by Edward R. Pressman. Who's done a ton of horror film? Like he he uh, produced Conan the Barbarian. Uh, what about and, Conan the Librarian? <laughs> <laughs> no, not that one. And the whole Raimi connection. He also produced uh, Crime Wave. Oh, mm. cool. Oh, you know the other thing too. Before we get deep into the story and going through everything, um, we should say Paul Williams was involved. He plays Swan, the evil record executive. <laughs> I love Paul Williams, but he was also pretty heavy in with like working on the music for all of this. Yes, he did all the music. I think he wrote all the music and lyrics. And we were discussing all the songs. Before we started recording, we were discussing the sad loss of Kevin Conroy um, today, and Paul Williams voiced uh, the Penguin in a lot of the... Oh, I did not know that. That's cool. That's cool. Very nice. Yeah, Paul Williams was big in the 70s. He wrote a lot of hits for a lot of different people. Honestly, a lot of bands I don't really recognize myself. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You're a very uh, very talented uh, musician. Look, the the fucker was on The Muppet Show, so... He That's all a, I need. He gets a pass for me. I mean, <laughs> That's all I need. Earlier, earlier this week, I was telling you guys I'm sitting here watching the banger that is Muppet Treasure Island. <laughs> <laughs> it truly is. Uh, well, we get a narration opening up this movie. It explains that Swan is this legendary record producer. Mm-hmm. He brought the blues to Britain, the Liverpool to America, and his band, the Juicy Fruits, gave birth to nostalgia rock in the 70s. And now he's looking for a new sound so he can open up the paradise. And do you know who did the introduction? Uh, no. I have a funny story about this, but go ahead. Uh, okay, it's Rod Serling. 
From the Twilight Zone. Oh, cool. Okay. So Tiffany's seen this before, and I guess the first time we watched it, she never really paid attention to the intro. Mm-hmm. This time she did, and she was like, what is this, a Twilight Zone episode? <laughs> <laughs> well, and I was like, well, funny you should say that. <laughs> and he's not credited, but I mean, yeah. you, you can pretty much tell it's him, unless you're Michael, I guess. I mean, there's usually a child screaming while I'm watching these movies. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we open <laughs> on uh, said Juicy Fruits. Mm-hmm. And they're this like greaser... Yeah, there's that whole retro yeah. 50s thing, uh, like Greaser Group, yeah, doing a song called Goodbye, Eddie, Goodbye. And it's fucking amazing. Oh, it's a great track. It's great. <laughs> I love the opening because they're singing their song and you get all the credits and those those flashing bulb yeah. lights, yeah. you know. This definitely snagged me from the intro. Like, yeah. you're, you're there. You're like, okay, this is the movie this is going to be. Uh-huh, yeah. um, the good thing is, is it doesn't stop there and keeps becoming even more of the movie that it's going to be yeah. from here. Yep. yep. Um, and we should say the Juicy Fruits are Archie Han, Jeffrey Kamanor, and Peter El- Elbling. Yes. Bad. Um, I read a funny note about this, too, where I guess originally De Palma wanted to get actual like rock stars to play these three characters. <laughs> And I don't know how far it got, and I have it in my notes here somewhere, but they talked to like a few different bands at the, of the time that were popular. And I don't know how far it went, but his final assessment was that he didn't want to work with them because it was too hard to deal with directing a rock star. <laughs> I, I can buy that. That is not surprising. But these guys do great in this oh, they're, role. They're wonderful. Um, and the song itself, too, is like... The song's great. It's all about... Um, this guy who's trying to pay for like his sister's operation mm-hmm. is trying to become an overnight sensation, and eventually he winds up killing himself. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot like those uh, like teen suicide songs from the sixties and seventies, yeah, yeah. Uh, which were called tear jerkers, death discs, or my personal favorite, splatter platters. <laughs> wow, <laughs> songs like Teen Angel, uh, oh true, yeah, Mc- okay, McDinning and uh, Leader of the Pack, Shangri Las. That's another mm. great example. I like it too because like um, another connection I think this has with Hedwig is a lot of the songs are just songs that were made in the universe of the story. Mm-hmm. So they're not really like telling you the plot so much. No. Although but, I think there is some foreshadowing. Yeah, the, the lyrics thing. of the songs kind of give you like metaphors and ideas that eventually pay off. Yeah. Because Winslow, who we, who we are about to meet, wants to become big. He wants to sell his, record his opera and everything. Mm-hmm. Or cantata, I guess he calls it. And spoiler, he winds up killing himself, but we'll get to that. <clears throat> so yeah, so above um, watching this performance in this little like secluded booth is uh, Swan, who we don't see yet. No, we don't see him. He's off screen. And he's with his like, it's like Toady, his right hand man. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Philbin, played by George Mamoli. This dude great. has so much fucking charisma. Yeah. yeah. I like how he's talking right into the camera. He's talking to Swan, but he's like talking to us. He's yeah. telling a story about one of their ingenues that kind of turned her back on them and yeah she got famous and then broke away from their label yeah and he don't like that and it's interesting because swan is so cold and you don't even really know him yet but he's just sort of like what do you want me to do yeah like his voice is soft and calm <laughs> uh and he stops pulling from talking when he hears uh winslow playing on his piano which we've seen winslow kind of milling about during the song he's like uh, pasting up a flyer for himself. Yeah, putting his name over the Juicy Fruits. <laughs> yeah. You can tell he doesn't hold them in very high regard. So he plays a song called Faust, which is actually sung and written by Andy Williams. Um, and uh, Swan says that he wants the music and not the man. Because Philbin's like, what do you want with that jerk? You know? Yeah. So, I don't want him, I want the music. Because 
Winslow played by, help me out here, who played Winslow? Uh, William Finley. William Finley. Yeah, he's like, you know, tall, gangly, kind of dorky looking. I like it too because the song, like it is like an adaptation of a part of the story of Faust, but the way he delivers the performance, like it, you can tell like it's very personal to him. Yeah. And something about it like resonates with him very deeply. It's also very 70s. Mm-hmm. It's a very 70s song. <laughs> Not in the bad way exactly, but... So after his performance, uh, Philbin comes to talk to him and says, like, hey, Swan dug what you were doing. He's interested in your music. He wants that song. And then Winslow's like, well, no, I've, I've got like a whole, it's a whole big, what is it? Yeah. A, a cantata. 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 Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's the entire story of Faust is this musical production. Yeah. And Philbin's like, what? give me a couple of the catchy songs, all right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but we get a little hint of Winslow's personality because he mentions like, yeah, the Juicy Fruits would do great with these. <laughs> he goes apeshit. Yeah, he flips out on them. It actually kind of looked like that set wasn't meant to break Yeah, as well because <laughs> he kind of pushes him through the wall uh-huh. and... Uh, He's going for it. Mamoli sells it, mm-hmm. you know, like he doesn't skip a beat, but it I'm not entirely sure that set was meant <laughs> to fall apart like that. <laughs> but yeah, when uh Philbin's like, Yeah, yeah, whatever, man, you know, just calm down, it's cool. Yeah, you he know, says, just... We'll we'll just take the, the music you've written and we'll get back to you. Yeah. And then um, a month passes. Spoiler. He doesn't get back to him. No, he does not get back to him. <laughs> uh month passes, so Winslow goes to the Death Records mm-hmm. um offices. Owned by Swan. And, Which is uh, a funny note about that, too. Yeah. It had a different name before it was Death Records. Um, it was going to be Swan Song Records. Which was already Led Zeppelin, right? Yeah, they got into a lawsuit, <laughs> a threat of a lawsuit, <laughs> yeah. and they had to dive out of that. Uh huh. Did they not know that? I mean, we're talking about this is like 73 when this movie is getting <laughs> prepped and stuff. I mean, Led Zeppelin's pretty big. I think someone would have said, oh, hey, wait, wait, they've already got it. Anyway, whatever. Uh, which probably would explain. Because a couple of times you see the um, Death Records logo of the dead bird superimposed mm-hmm. over things. Like yeah. later on, there's a, a press conference in the podium, and you could tell it's just super yeah. superimposed. They That's, already shot yeah. that with the yeah. other logo. Right. That's, okay, that, that answers some questions. <laughs> um, <laughs> the receptionist is looking for his name. Oh, it's so foxy, by the way. Oh, no, she's foxy. Yeah. She, she didn't do anything else. Not in it enough, I see. Yeah. She didn't do, like, there's a lot of foxy women in this movie. Yeah, but there was something about I don't know. Yeah. Something about her. Yeah. She was she had like that punk rock vibe kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like clearly it looks like she could kick your ass. <laughs> Must be a thing I'm into. Being Must as, be. I mean you okay. guys have like, met Piper, so. That's cool. That's all right. Yeah, he's on the list of like never to be seen, so he gets thrown out. So he decides to sneak in to a uh, audition that's going on. Yep. Yeah, he follows Swan to his mansion, sneaks in there. Uh, there's like a line of girls lined up all around the steps and everything. And they're all like singing his music. It's great. Yeah, they're all off key. And he's just like <laughs> yeah. walking up the steps. But he comes across one who's singing pretty decently. Mm-hmm. And it's none other than Jessica Harper. Who's playing Phoenix. Phoenix. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping you would do that. Phoenix. <laughs> and of course, you all know Jessica Harper from... Shock Treatment, the sequel to the Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> yes, yes, of course. Um, but also other many interesting horror films. Such as? Well, Suspiria, for starters. Oh, right, yeah. Both of them. True. She was in the... Mm. 
The other one as well. Yeah, oh yeah, right. Sorry, I, do, I like that one. For some reason, I was thinking of Mother of Tears. No, no, no. When you said that. I, I was about to say, you liked the... <laughs> I did like it. I liked it a lot, actually. I'm not going to call it a remake, because I don't think it's, it's a remake, not a remake at all. It's, it's like a remix. remix. It's, yeah. yeah. Um, so he comes up with the Phoenix, and he's like, you know, trying to like help her, you know, this is how you I like this. It. It's like a really tender moment yeah. where like... They click on this connection of like their love of music mm-hmm. with you know barely an interaction and actually trying to sing it right and do a good mm-hmm. job and everything. I like what he says because he's like this is something he normally sings as a solo for himself, but he like cares about the music so much that he's okay to say when someone does it better than him. Mm-hmm. And so like when he hears her, he's like, oh, I didn't, you know, yeah, I, yeah. I didn't think I could hear it this way. Um, and she's like, How did you know this? This music? I wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's funny just how like bright-eyed and naive Phoenix is too. That she's like, "Well, you just need to go up and talk to Swan then." Yeah, and- just go tell him. And they they tell him that they're opening the paradise with his music. Winslow did not know this, so he's trying to get in. They won't let him. Uh, the bouncers kick him out. Phoenix says that she'll tell you know Swan that he's here, but <laughs> and this is over the top representation representation of the whole casting couch thing. Yeah. But there's just, they just take girls into this room, throw them on the couch and Philbin jumps on them. And there's just girls like waiting in line for this to happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I know that thing happens a lot and it's a horrible thing, but the way it's portrayed here, it's just so, it's like the, 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 the satire of it is even more cutting than, <laughs> If they just filmed it straight. Well, this film has yeah. some choice you know? words about the record industry for sure. Oh, yeah. I think yeah. you have to make sure that you understand that this is satire and it yeah. is really poking. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say poking fun. It's just prodding at the whole Oh, yeah. Industry it's pointing out and, what's wrong with the industry. Yeah. And then the 70s was a whole different beast than it is now, but it's still pretty much the same thing. But Phoenix <laughs> isn't having any part of that. No, she storms out. She screams yeah. and she's came coming out, yeah. putting her, trying to get her clothes back on and everything. Um, but at, at this point, uh, Winslow has snuck back up. Yep, disguised as a woman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's this, there's this harem of women on this huge rotating round bed. And they're all making out and stuff. There's a camera up there. And one of them says something how like Swan likes to watch them do that. That they're auditioning right now. Yeah. yeah. And I love it because uh, Winslow's like got his face away from the camera. And he's mixed in. And you don't even notice him at first. Right, yeah. yeah. And then he just like flips his head up. He's in disguise. <laughs> Was he though? Well... <laughs> And then Swan comes out and tells his men to get rid of him. Pretty harshly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Swan calls the cops, and two cops show up outside. Winslow's beaten up, kind of half conscious. They plant some drugs on they him. They plant some drugs on him, and he goes to jail. He gets a life sentence in Sing Sing Prison. And here it really gets heightened. This is what made me think of like Sam Raimi, yeah. especially with Crime Wave, the whole Edward R. Pressman Association. There's also some... for. 74 a lot of things to say about the prison industry already <laughs> yeah that, that you're like well shit we're still there <laughs> yeah yeah the fact that the prison basically just exists to like do the back-end work for the record label yeah um that when winslow is lined up and brought in with the other inmates that are there is like fresh meat or whatever he's informed that they are all volunteers mm-hmm. um for this experiment this, this program swan. that yeah. swan is doing um where winslow says i'm not a volunteer yeah. <laughs> i'm innocent how many of you are innocent and then the warden says who else uh thinks they're not a volunteer <laughs> the little dude that's standing next to him cracked me up because he's just standing there with his arm up like yeah i'm innocent <laughs> he looked like an early version of pedro from napoleon dynamite oh, yeah, yeah. 
Um, and but, all these men have to have their teeth removed. Uh-huh. Yeah. I guess for Harsh. science? I don't fully Question understand mark? that one. I think that's to drive the narrative of the Phantom having the metal teeth. Yeah, which is awesome. Um, oh, it, I remember. It's supposed to decrease infection among the inmates. Oh, right, right, uh, right. Sure. Makes sense. <laughs> so then we time skip, what, six more months, right? Yeah. 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 And he's like working this production line. In They're the making tiddlywinks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you see he's got metal teeth now. Mm-hmm. For some reason, he's the only one. Well, <laughs> this is the uh, uh, actor that plays Winslow, William Finley, has got to be like eight feet tall. <laughs> anyway, and he's just towering over yeah. everybody else yeah. in this production line. And some guards like listening to the Juicy Fruits, right? Mm-hmm. Doing Faust. Yeah. Yep. And he loses his shit and attacks him. <laughs> runs out the building. And this is where it gets really cartoony. Somehow he gets in a truck in a box. And the box is going down the street. And the box, the truck is going down the street. And the box comes out the back of the truck. And he's in the box. And he just kind of like, you know, burst out. <laughs> it, it's so hyper-stylized. I, I just read this book with my son, The Berenstein Bears in a Box. It's like, in a box on the back it, of a truck. Off the box, back of the truck. And I was like, hey, <laughs> I know this one. And see, Jason, um, Legend of the Stardust Brothers, their biggest inspiration was Phantom of the Paradise. Yeah. So then you look in that one and some of the goofy shit they do. Mm. I think like this is where they're pulling from some of it from. Interesting. Definitely Swan. Oh, yeah, with the record producer guys. Yeah. Definitely, you can see that heavily. Uh, so Winslow goes to Death Records to destroy all the albums that are getting pressed. And I love how frantic the scene is, where he's just like <laughs> racing through the halls and the camera's chasing along behind yeah, him. it's great. It's I, so, yeah, everything's kind of wide-angled and weird-looking. I feel like they told him, just break everything. <laughs> <laughs> break everything! Uh, but some guard says, hey, get away from there, and startles him, and he gets trapped in the pressing machine, and the Juicy Fruits Faust record gets pressed up against his face. And we don't really see the outcome, but he's clearly very yeah, injured. Like you can't really talk. You hear him going <laughs> and chilling. Half of his, as he's kind of stumbling away, you you see half of his face is mm-hmm. kind of melted, and he's also been shot in the leg apparently yep. by the security guard. Which I have a note about this. So there was like a pre-release version of the film, like a press print, where they sent to outlets to get reviews and stuff. And this scene was different. Um, it was longer. And you actually get to see his full face all disfigured and steaming with smoke coming off of it. Hmm. And then the cop that runs up on him and shoots him, he actually kills that cop. No, oh, wow. To get away and flee. So they kind of softened it a bit. Uh, and you actually see him getting shot in the leg mm. more clearly to know that's why he has the limp later on. Um, but then they ended up removing that because they thought it was better to hold the reveal of his face until the very end when the mask comes off. Yeah, I can see that. It's not necessary. I mean, you know he got messed up. I don't know. Like, I still feel like I saw more when he's crawling away than I did. Mm. You don't see the eye and everything, though. Yeah, yeah. And apparently that was a real record press. Yeah. Um, they put, like, a thing on it to make it, like, safe to not hurt him. Yeah, they put, like, ch- uh, some chucks in there or yeah. something. Um, but it was Chuck still so, yeah. so much it was, like, smushing, though. So you actually had to time it to jump out yeah. anyways. Which is weird, because I was looking at it thinking, is that really how records are pressed? Uh, apparently it is. Which, which, again, 70s filmmaking. Yeah. It's <laughs> getting dangerous. Neat. I was upset that he was breaking it, because there's a shortage of record presses currently. Yeah, this is true. I was like, how dare you? That well, could have been operational. <laughs> Considering Swan, though. Eh. Yeah, it's true. He probably had a bunch more <laughs> laying around. Or, or who cares about the music? Um, so then we get like a spinning paper that tells us that the paradise is about to open and that Winslow was believed to be dead after an escape attempt. Yep, he's a small little yeah, he's like a article blurb. down yeah. at the bottom. Yeah. 
Uh, so Winslow, we see, well, it's a POV, but we're sure it's him. He's, he breaks into the paradise. There's a rehearsal going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, now it's the Beach Bums. Yeah, they've been rebranded as like a surf rock. It's the rock. same guys, but they're the Beach Bums now. They're the Juicy Fruits. Yeah, they're like the surf rock Beach Boys type mm-hmm. thing. Uh, and we see Winslow stealing uh, like a cape costume, like the bird mask. He's taking those items. <laughs> he puts a bomb in the Juicy Fruits car. They got this fake car on the set. That's supposed to roll out and stuff like that. And they're that. doing the song Upholstery. Now Upholstery. I have to talk about this song for a minute because I think this is like one of the most brilliant <laughs> moments of the film. Mm-hmm. Because what this is, it's the melody of Faust, but they have morphed it into this total like pop surf rock song with just these vapid, shallow lyrics that take all of the depth mm-hmm. of the Faust song and all its like deep things about like wishing for friends and someone you can have your life with yeah. and your regrets and all the the demons and everything, and then you come to upholstery and it's just like a song about how the best things in life are hanging out with your girl and you got problems <laughs> like you lost a fight that you should have won and uh-huh. your car's messed up. And yeah. This kind of sounds like modern country music. Well, it makes me think uh-huh. of just like how shallow so much pop music is. Oh, yeah. With oh, like, it's very shallow. Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's for escapism for most people. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's going to be shallow. But at the same time... And then that it exists off the back of like actual talent that's getting squashed out right. in the process. right. And we get one of the Palma's patented uh, split screens here. Oh, yeah. And it looks so cool. Yeah. So we're following the car as it's going around, getting to the front of the stage where the Beach Bums are doing their song. And, uh, like, one of the singers comes back there and he's talking with Philbin, isn't he? Yeah. How, like, you don't feel good and something's wrong. So he just <laughs> pours all these drugs down his mouth. Go back out he has a thing about like horoscopes, and he knows that yeah. this is bad for the day. Yeah. Um, and also another neat thing about like um, Winslow that you notice a thing of his character, he sets the bomb so that the ticking is to the tune of the music. Oh right, of course, yes. And also I had a note about this scene too. Um, the whole split shot thing. Apparently, De Palma said he did it as an homage to Orson Welles' opening from Touch of Evil from 1958. Okay. Which, I mean, he's used that in other films, too. Sure. So I'm, I'm yeah. sure it was a thing he really loved. Um, so the bomb explodes. Uh, kills a bunch of people, we presume. We didn't really see the fallout yeah, of The those. beach bums kind of get out of the way, I guess, because the dude's so freaked out. But, like, the extras, the dancers yeah, that toast. they have on the car. Um, and Williams kind of, well, Swan, kind of reacts like, oh, he knows something's up. He kind of knows what's going on. Um, <laughs> so he goes back to the secret room he's got, right? All these recordings and stuff. I guess all the cameras he's got set up, that's where it feeds into. And he sees Winslow in his outfit, hiding up in the rafters. And when he's leaving, Winslow comes out and accosts him. Mm-hmm. But Swan's, you know, he's cool about it. He's like, whatever. He's like, what? what? Killing me won't do any good. You know, and he says how horrible Winslow looks. <laughs> and he says he sounds awful. He's like, can't you speak? And he Swan's like, well, we can work together now. You know, you could trust me. <laughs> well, he says, like, you know, you've made your point that you've yeah, fought this hard. And right, he says, yeah. we can work together and we can make the music the way that you want it to be. Yeah. And then you'll get your cantata performed how you want and I'll get the paradise, the opening I want. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> uh, let's see. Okay. Yeah. The next day, Phoenix comes back. And she sings another song. Well, we get the whole thing of like his transformation, right? Where they have the recording room. Uh, I think Phoenix and, comes back before that. Oh yeah, yeah, because they're watching oh, her. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. he's just he's just nodding to Swan. Yeah, so it's the next really it's the next day, and they're doing auditions. Yeah, for people. And she sings a, a song special to me. Is what it's called. 
There's good setup on this too because they kind of hassle her when she shows up because they remember her from the first audition. Yeah. It's like, do I get to sing this time? Yeah. And Swan intervenes and he says, what would you give me for me to let you sing? Mm-hmm. And she says, well, anything. And he says, all right then, even your voice. Yep. And then when she agrees, he allows her to do the song. Yep. She does good. Great song. She has an amazing voice. She has a great voice. Again, the dancing, I don't know. I'm into it. I like it. You like Bouncing it. around. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. But it's, yeah, it's a fun, catchy song. Um, and then we get the scene where yeah. they're in the studio and, and uh, Swan's cleaning up his voice. Like he's got that box thing on his receiver thing around his chest. Yeah. And he's got them plugged into all the speakers and mixers and everything. Which I have a note about this too. There's so uh-huh. many fun little things in this. So um, the room that they're in where he does all this, it's an actual recording studio called The Record Plant. And the walls are actually covered with knobs. And it's actually this huge custom-built Moog oh, cool. called the Tonto. Yeah. And that's actually been used in a bunch of different albums um, by an electronica duo, Tonto's Expanding Headband. It's a thing that still exists today, and it's on exhibit in the National Music Center in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And a Moog is like an early synthesizer, yeah. right? Yeah. Very famous brand, which apparently, too, you can even like book it to go in there and use it if you that's want. That's cool. I don't think I do enough drugs to to <laughs> to properly you know experience that that instrument or that room nice but yeah they restore his voice and he gets to start rewriting his cantata yep. to be so, the way he so wants he, he can talk now he's got this cool kind of mechanical aspect yeah you were doing it early I, I really love the way they kind of switch it though like it's kind of going through him getting his voice mm-hmm. and before it really settles on where it is it gets that really great it's just a good De Palma shot too, of like right up close in his face. Yeah, and it's Phoenix. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and little little tiny tiny thing on this: when they're adjusting his voice, it's going through several different tones, and the tone that uh, Swan first stops on and says "perfect," it's not uh, Finley's voice, but Williams saying the line. Yeah. So it's like he makes him sound closer to him, and mm. then he says, "Oh, that's perfect." <laughs> of course. Of course, it's perfect. <laughs> yeah, and uh, the Phantom tells Swan that he doesn't trust him, because why should he? Mm-hmm. And Swan hands him this huge contract. It's actually like paper or like vellum or something. And uh, <laughs> and uh, he begins reading through it, because of course he says, I'm going to read through the whole thing and make sure you're not screwing me over. <laughs> And like all record contracts, it's impossible to yeah. understand. Yeah, he's going through this one part about like party of the first part and then like flesh and blood and stuff like that. And he looks at Swan and Swan says, that's a transportation clause. <laughs> 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 and of course, it has to be signed in blood. And <laughs> the best part is like, you know, he pricks um, Winslow's finger and he, he signs his. And then Swan pricks his own, but he's got a stamp, of yeah. course. He's got a rubber stamp because he can't be bothered to actually sign things. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we already know this isn't going to be very good because one of the next scenes we get is Swan talking to Philbin. And he basically says that he doesn't like Phoenix for it. And he wants to find someone else mm-hmm. to be the star. That's the scene where he's sitting in the middle of the record, right? I think yeah. so. Oh, yeah, yeah. His, his like desk thing is this huge record. Mm-hmm. That's a really fun scene because he's um, basically flipping through in real time different versions of the way it could play out. Yeah. So like 
There's one that's like Motown. Mm-hmm. Um, he comes across a country one that's really funny. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, pretty, but not right. And There's then, like folk rock. There's like an Eagles type band. Yeah. Right. And then finally comes to basically the glam rock, mm-hmm. um, which beef. is beef. Yes, played by Garrett Graham. Oh, uh, and yeah, because Phil, Philbin's asking um, Swan why Phoenix isn't right. Isn't she perfect? And he says, yes, she is perfect, but I can't abide perfection in anything but myself. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, we, we it's like he's conjuring these people up. Mm-hmm. It's like he just created beef out of nothing, which I guess is what a lot of record producers do, right? Because yeah. they groom people. That's, you can't use that word anymore. Um, they do that too, <laughs> that, I guess, that is which what is they the problem. Do yeah. I, this is very true, though, because in my music days, I never... Like I, I hit what I hit and then I was done. Mm-hmm. But like on the way there, you always meet people after a gig. Somebody's always like, "Hey, you should come talk to this person." And it's mm-hmm. always every gig after gig is like, "Is this gonna be it? Is this the person we're gonna talk to that's gonna do something?" And I don't have to keep playing right shit. And I remember talking to this one dude who was a producer, and he was like talking about sending my band to open acts. And stuff, mm-hmm. and he was like, "But, but you guys would actually be the opening act as well, and you'd just like put on hats and like a different costume or whatever, and then you'd change and come back out." And I was just like, "The what? fuck, the hell, you know?" So that is legit, like <laughs> the way it's always about like the gimmick, yeah, and what how can you we look, do, how you dress, yeah, what, yeah. Needless to say, I didn't do that shit. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I chose to do nothing over doing that shit. Nah, I don't blame you. Um, but it's very believable. Oh, sure. Honestly, yeah. it's extremely believable. Prefabricated bands. It happens all the time. Uh, so then we have the uh, press conference mm-hmm. <laughs> outside the airplane because he just got back from Transylvania, right? Yes, yeah, all the narrative of his character. Yeah, he's got this big coffin sitting out there. <laughs> he introduces beef. It's as you say, uh, said Michael, played by the great Garrett Graham, who God. you would know from everything terror I'm, on his, <laughs> yeah. I'm on his imdb currently and like yes terror vision which that's one of his biggest roles I but think. seriously like oh, the dude done, yeah. has 130 something entries on imdb just god damn yeah <laughs> he is so fucking good in this movie he mm. steals it he just he just outright steals it when he's in it um so yeah they're introducing him and of course he's all glammed up alice cooper looking yeah. kiss you mm-hmm. know uh, his band that are now called the Undead. They're not the Beach Bums anymore. They're the Undead. It's the same guys. They come creeping out from behind them, <laughs> and they're wearing you know the black makeup and stuff like that. Um, it's inspired definitely by like uh, Dr. Caligari. Yeah, the whole oh, sure. the whole set once they perform mm-hmm. is very Dr. Caligari. Um, but their look it has like a Kiss vibe too. Oh sure, it's it's definitely a send up of the whole shock rock stuff. <laughs> so they're preparing for the big show. Uh huh. And um. Well, once he gets all the cantata... He finishes uh, it, yeah. Yeah, Swan bricks the Phantom up in the recording studio. Yep, don't need him anymore. No, and he's all, like, drugged out. He's been feeding him drugs to keep him going. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and he's, like, passed out. <laughs> and we get that scene where Beef is practicing and singing the song. <laughs> <laughs> it's just how it was written for a chick. You're going to have to get a castrato to do this <laughs> one. Yeah. yeah, so Beef is played very gay, very hyper flamboyant I think is the word you yeah. want because I don't even think he's playing gay 
mm-hmm. at all. I think he's just playing. Well, like it's definitely as, like a queer stereotype, though. Yeah, but I think he's just playing as flamboyantly. Person, like I don't know. There's part of this that I don't even buy that that's even beef. You know, like beef is almost like like this character that Garrett Graham plays is well, like well, another it, character layered on top of another character. <laughs> like I don't really. Well, well, beef is obviously a persona because yeah. the real whatever his name really is is not like beef. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm saying. Like that, what that persona almost feels still over the top. Okay, so that's not even really him. I, it, it probably is. The, the real him is probably the one that was wanting to go home to Cincinnati to his yeah, mother later yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. But it all still feels even his the way he acts when he's not on stage as beef still feels like a a gimmick. Yeah. But yeah, the way he does it, he speaks very effeminate, and um, I think mincing is the word. The way his performance <laughs> goes, but it's so over the top, like. I don't. I don't know if it's insulting or not. I don't think it's meant to be insulting. I don't think so. No. I don't think it's meant to be saying you know, ha ha, laugh at the gay people. I don't, no, I, I don't, don't. I don't think I don't so get either. Get that impression. And I think it's all about tone and how it's played. And I don't. It's like when you look at these now, you you're you're always like, ooh, I don't know. But the way it's played, it's so. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. know. It it definitely does. It doesn't feel offensive. Maybe I'm wrong. And yeah, maybe I mean we. Some, I would know if I, if someone I were to tell me offended. I'm offended by this. I'd, <laughs> I'd I would, say for sure. I would happily say, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, but mm-hmm. I didn't get that because I felt like the tone wasn't there. Right. I didn't feel like it was mean at plus, all. Plus, Beef's also probably one of the like he's a very short screen time, but we kind of get to know a lot about <laughs> him in that short screen time. He's probably yeah, the, next to Phoenix, probably the most innocent character there. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, but the way he's sc- the when he's screaming this thing, like he's trying to sing it, I guess. But when he turns and he's just like, "You're gonna get a castrato to sing this one. It's outside of my range." <laughs> and the guy singing for beef, the vocals is Raymond uh, Lewis Kennedy, who apparently actually wrote some of the Beach Boy songs. Oh wow! Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. And the- and so beef is going with it, right? And there's that scene where he like flips over, yeah, and he's on his back. <laughs> And he's trying to get up. He's got like those platform shoes that <laughs> he can't get up. Phoenix is sitting there laughing. Yeah. But it's like even... You still don't know if it's part of the gimmick. Mm-hmm. Like and Graham is so good in this. Yeah. He's so good. So he goes to shower off, right? I think. Yeah. 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 And the, the Phantom wakes up. He's, he finds himself sealed in. He realizes that, oh, I've been tricked again. I shouldn't <laughs> believe that, dude. God damn it. And he lets out this big scream. And uh, Beef hears the scream. Mm-hmm. And it unsettles him. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes to Philbin and tells him, you know, something, something's wrong here. Something's not right. This is where he's wearing those antlers on his crotch, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> that's the only, that's the only thought thing that I thought was going to be foreshadowing that didn't play out. Oh, right. Because yeah. he's like, De Palma zooms in on him, like poking Philbin in the belly. With yeah. Those, yeah. Uh, you think someone's going to get impelled with on those, those crotch antlers. Yeah. <laughs> And I feel like that was a missed yeah, opportunity. Cool. Uh, yeah, so then Beef goes to take a shower. <laughs> He's like snorting a lot of coke. Yeah. And he notices that one of the ubiquitous cameras is on him. He just gives the camera this look like, oops. <laughs> and then we kind of get an homage to Psycho. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because he, he's, he's practicing this. He's singing the song while he's in the shower. <laughs> and we see the form of the Phantom coming through the curtains. But instead of a knife, he has a plunger. Yeah, I love it because he just <laughs> pops it right over his face. 
Honestly, I think I'd take the knife over the plunger, really. <laughs> well, depends on how recently it had been used. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hopefully it was a very clean plunger. I don't think so. And he tells him, don't sing that song. No one sings that but Phoenix. I'm going to kill anyone who sings that, any of my music. He says, anyone that tries, dies. Yes. And then you get Beef being incredibly awesome. He's <laughs> just like, okay, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm leaving. <laughs> like, all right, I'm out. And it looks like he's dressed like Santa as he's walking out the it's back like, fire It's like a escape. big, like coat with all kinds of like plush fur on it's it it's almost stuff. a frock yeah, yeah. but it, it's trimmed in white you know it's like almost a santa looking coat thing but i love how he says it to philbin because he's like there really is a phantom yeah philbin <laughs> <laughs> yeah. catches him trying to sneak out he's like hey where are you going <laughs> he says the cincinnati to my mother's <laughs> uh they they drug him up yeah yeah take him back inside because <laughs> philbin's like oh yeah there's a phantom yeah and and uh, Beef says, "I know what was the line. I know drug real from real real." <laughs> uh, so yeah, he gives him more drugs. But as this is happening, the intro is kind of starting mm-hmm. inside for the show. Yeah, and it's super killer. Oh, it's fantastic! I would see this show in a heartbeat. Yeah, it's the song "Someone Somebody Special Like You," and yeah, it's a great send up of shock rock because it's you know. It, it's, like I said, the whole Caligari influence, the whole surrealistic, impressionistic backdrop and everything, and everyone's in the makeup. and It's a cool song, too. It's probably my favorite song. And yeah. when Beef comes down... Oh, well, this is where we... I want to talk about the song first, just to okay. yeah. get into it. Um, It's talking about building, like, the perfect man. Mm-hmm. And this is where you get kind of the Rocky Horror vibes yeah. a little bit. Yeah. But I love what they do, because they kind of approach the crowd. They have, like, a part of the stage that juts out around mm-hmm. them. And they do this whole mock thing where they've got, like, plants in the crowd... And their instruments all have like blades on them, like knives coming off, and they start like stabbing people and taking body parts that they're bringing back to the stage. Yeah, because they're assembling what's it's supposed great. to be beef. It's a great bit. Yeah, no, that'd be really cool in the real. Concert. It's really effective. It's super Alice Cooper. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, like so vaudeville. Um, but yeah, once they get all the parts to the stage. Oh yeah. <laughs> like there's this big cage like yeah it's the frankenstein frankenstein thing. Yeah. thing that they start lowering down from the rafters but it's a really fun scene because as they're lowering that from the rafters you see the phantom on the other side mm-hmm. uh, of the police yeah, he's going like going up. yeah going yeah. up the rope and stuff yeah um but no when beef comes out of that that's just such a cool it's great it's like the best song in the whole he does film. a song called life at last yeah <laughs> He goes and he's, hard. He's going crazy. He's going nuts. And the guy singing it's doing a great job, too. I even love it, too. Like, when he first gets out, he, like, makes himself very stiff. Yeah, and he's, like, walking around, you know, kind of like Frankenstein's monster. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't really, yeah. But then he gets really fluid because at one point he does, like, a running chicken dance. <laughs> and the whole time he's looking around the theater, like, looking for the phantom. Yes. So he's trying to dance and be cool and menacing, but also looking around scared. Well, and the phantom is there, though. Oh, yeah. Um... And we see him launch. I thought it, it looked like a gun at first, but it turned out to be it's a big uh, old neon lightning bolt. Neon, yeah. yeah, neon lightning bolt that he slides down to uh, electrocute Beef while he's singing. This is a fun part too, because I guess he's like cutting out frames. Mm-hmm. The palm is cutting out frames or something, and maybe rocking it back and forth. I'm not exactly sure how he got the effect. It's an interesting look. But yeah, it's kind of jittery. You can tell he's getting electrocuted, but instead of doing the whole. You know, electrical sparks running up them and shit like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, like force lightning or something. I like this trick he did, you know, with cutting of the film. It was pretty cool. It fits the film. Yeah. Like, because it's never too explicit, any of the, like, violence or no, anything in this. No, no, not really. 
this is probably like on the outside looking in, I think a lot of people would probably look at this movie and think that it's just kind of trash, which I don't think so. I really, this is, I mean, there's a lot of craft here. Yeah. And it's very art house Mm -hmm. in so many ways. It's very artistic, very film school that yeah yeah (laughs) but i mean like if you were to tell someone the premise of phantom of the paradise well this movie it's got cult movie written all over it be like Mm -hmm. the fuck yeah (laughs) uh so beef dies yeah he like explodes into flames we don't see it but and the crowd goes crazy they think it's all part of the show right Mm -hmm. and so then like philbin tells phoenix to go out there and sing you know got to calm the audience down and you know we gotta get Beef's dead body out of here and all that crap. <laughs> and they love it. Yeah, but see, I don't buy the crowd from going crazy to chilling out to her slow song, though. I think it's That's supposed to little... be like her her talent and her performance is supposed to be so... No, like she's bespelling them yeah. with her. That yeah. was the vibe I got. I guess I would have that reaction if Jessica Harper sang to me. I don't care what she's saying. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. I stand corrected. <laughs> <Got> <laughs> But yeah, it's a very somber, uh, slow song. Yeah, it's called Old Souls. Mm-hmm. Um, so with Beef Dead, Swan tells Phoenix that she's now going to be his star. And it's all going to be about her. And mm-hmm. she loves the adoration she got from the audience. Yep. There's no going she's back got that for her taste. now. Yep. She's hooked. But the Phantom intervenes. Indeed. Takes her up to the roof. Yep. Tells her, you know, Beef's dead. I killed him. That's what's going to happen. You got to leave this theater. Mm-hmm. Swan's no good. Mm-hmm. He'll take advantage of you. And she's like, "Why should I give all this up?" And he says, "Like they're just gonna keep taking and taking. They're gonna ask for so much more. Yeah, more than you can give." That's what he says. Which that's what they. I, I love that line. Does right? Yeah. It's like it doesn't matter. You're tired. You're you wore out. You're having you know emotional problems. No, fuck you. Go on tour. Make us money. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's true. Yeah, all too true. I mean, I kind of think that's why I gravitate towards the music that I do, like indie metal and Mm -hmm. indie rock and punk and stuff like that, because it's very antithetic of that. Right. Right. You know, like a lot of the guys that I go see or that we all go see, you buy a shirt from them because that's their gas money to get to the next place. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like they realize that they're never going to be. They're never going to... They're going to be selling the big auditoriums yeah. and going all around the world. I don't want to say make it, because I think your definition of make it... It's all relative. Is, but it's purely a work of passion. Yeah, and you can tell, it, you feel it, it comes through the performance, and then mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of big acts before, and they just don't feel that way. Right. There's a different energy. Mm-hmm. Like Aside from like seeing somebody like Alice Cooper, who's still... That passion is there, and he is as big as he is. But, you know, like I've seen... In my days before this, I've seen like Coldplay and people like oh. that. And I'm just like, you're just there. Yeah. You just, somebody <laughs> told you to show up and you're just doing what somebody told you to do. Sure. But again, I mean, when they're playing, you know, a show every night, you know, constantly mm-hmm. moving, constantly. It stops being special. Yeah. You know. And I mean, they're being taken advantage of. That's the only way they're going to make their money. Because yeah. they don't get any, especially these days from record sales. I don't see shit from that. You know? Mm-hmm. Anyway... A lot of truth Phoenix there. rejects him. Yes. And she, she goes out and tells Swan. Swan. She rats on him, man. She rats yeah. on the Phantom. So Sw- the Phantom's up there. He killed Beef. 
It's a sad moment because, like, well, you can tell she's just being seduced by all sure. this power. Yeah, right. But... Why wouldn't she be? And he did just kill a man. Yeah. <laughs> There's that. <laughs> and it was beef. Well, he did warn him. He did warn him. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, then we cut to the phantom crawling around Swan's mansion up on top, looking through a skylight. And he catches an intimate moment between Phoenix and Swan. Yeah, we get, I... the, we get the sad moment where Swan cucks him. Yeah, totally. He knows he's there. He's like recording him and everything. I love it because he has a camera on himself in Phoenix, but he mm-hmm. also has the camera on the roof on the Phantom. Yeah. It's such a non-intimate, intimate moment. Yeah. <laughs> it's so... Well, you can tell, too, like, she's high out of her mind at this point, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Throughout the rest of the movie, she's just out of her mind on blow or something. Yeah. Um, but he is overcome with, you know, jealousy and rage and pain and despair and decides to end it all yep plunges a dagger into his heart phoenix <laughs> <laughs> but he doesn't die it's the power of love that keeps him <laughs> no don't it's, need money don't. it's that damn don't contract it's that damn contract swan shows up should have read the fine print the always power. read the fine print it's the power of love man that's why we don't have any sponsors we don't have anything <laughs> prescribed films is awesome they just let us do whatever we want as long as we keep putting out episodes that's we don't right. know actually we don't know what happens if we don't i don't know i don't want to try i like doing this <laughs> so swan tells uh the phantom he can't get out of this contract that easily it'll just be jason from the attack of the killer podcast or whatever <laughs> just show it up hey guys you okay <laughs> just wanted to check in on you feel you feeling all right <laughs> Uh, Swan shows him a, a clause in the contract that says this contract terminates with Swan. Mm-hmm. Uh, he tells the Phantom that if he dies, meaning Swan, that the wound will open again and the Phantom will die. Which uh, the Phantom tries to stab Swan yeah. as well. Yeah, nothing happens. And he says and, that he's got his own contract. Yeah, I'm under contract too. <laughs> yep. So this is where we actually get like, it's been teased on to this point but now there's actually some sort of supernatural thing going on oh yeah in the mix of this story and also we should probably mention that a couple of times we hear swan's voice recorded here and there mm-hmm. and it sounds weird it sounds almost like demonic like yeah twisted distorted in some way yeah. i know it's not something that's supposed to happen but it does happen <laughs> <laughs> oh they also never let anyone take any pictures of him mm-hmm. like the press and stuff like that um so anyway so then we get another newspaper headline that Swan and Phoenix are getting married at the Paradise. Yeah, it's a Rolling Stone cover, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Buy five copies for his mother. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. And meanwhile, the Phantom's been doing a little digging. He's snooping around. He's, he's intrigued now about this other contract. Mm-hmm. And he finds Swan's secret stash of... Porn. Uh, no, it's more like videos and stuff that he's... All the crazy recordings he's doing. Yes. That's probably Swan's version of porn more yeah, than anything. Yeah, it's all about him. Yeah, the one of the film reels is like him in the fifties. Yep, and he's he's in the bathtub. He's getting ready to kill himself. And notably, he looks the same. He looks the same, and he's talking to the camera. And he says, "Yeah, I'm going to end the law because I don't want to get any older. I don't want this face, you know, mm-hmm. to rot." And, you know, and he's filming it because because he's a narcissist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then his reflection starts to speak to him. It's odd. Doesn't usually happen to me, you know, but. Whatever. Depends on how much blow you're doing, I guess. That's, <laughs> you know, drug real, real, real. <laughs> what it is. Yeah, and the reflection says, hey, you just signed this contract, you never grow a day older. Yeah, it gets a little uh, Dorian Gray here. Yeah, because he says that film will age. Mm-hmm. Like your image on the film is going to age, but you won't. So keep that film safe. If anything happens to it, your history. 
Yeah, it's a devil, so he signs a contract with the devil. Surprise, we've been building up the whole Faust thing. <laughs> yeah, wow, I'm so shocked. Spoiler. And we also learned that what, um, he you know, he learns that uh, Swan made a contract with Phoenix as well. Yep. And she's, yeah, she's drugged out of her mind, and he makes her sign it. She doesn't even know what's going on. <laughs> and then what, he, does he also get like the conversation with Philbin where... It, yeah, there's yeah. like a live camera he's yeah, watching, yeah. and Swan's talking to Philbin, saying that he wants Philbin... Well, he, the hired he's, an assassin. he's talking to another assassin yeah, yeah. To, to shoot Phoenix during the ceremony because Philbin's going to officiate. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be the greatest television event ever. Yeah, yeah. Because he says that's entertainment. Mm-hmm. Live assassination on TV. So the Phantom destroys the film. Yep, he starts setting all of his films on fire. All of his and tapes he rushes off to the paradise to try to save the day. Yep. Um, so he gets there and... The wedding's yep. like a big stage show, but it's not really a song so much. Is yeah, it? they're just kind of like dancing and stuff like that. Um, but I love the shots of this where it'll like cut to the performance. Then it cuts to the Phantom just breakneck running through the halls mm-hmm. of the Paradise trying to get there in time. It's pretty cool. Even though he's supposed to have a limp, but you know. Yeah, it's all right. You know, adrenaline. Yeah. I'll tell you what it was, Dustin. It's the power, power of love. love. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if I've learned anything from Huey Lewis in the news. <laughs> True. I learned that you're just too darn loud. <laughs> um, yeah, so he gets there uh, just in time to kill the assassin. Well, the assassin takes the shot. He takes the shot and hits Philbin <laughs> right in the freaking head. Um, A fitting end for him. Yep. And chaos erupts. The Phantom swings down. Very epic moment, Yeah, too. grabs the mask off of Swan, and Swan's all looking all icky and decayed and right, pretty Krugerish. It's the Dorian Gray thing. The aging is catching up to him now. Right. Except apparently when he ages, his just fucking face falls off. That's how he ages. <laughs> that might happen to some people when they get older. I don't know. What the fuck, Chase? You've seen old people. <laughs> there are many old people you know their faces falling off? Lepers. Old lepers, I know. <laughs> the only, yeah. I only know what? old lepers, apparently. What? what is happening right now? Um, so with Swan revealed, his secret is out. He just tries to kill Phoenix. Yeah, he's like, I still have your voice. You know, I'm, you're still under contract to me for your voice. Starts trying to choke her. Uh, and then Phantom grabs a bird mask, mm-hmm. like a raven or something, and stabs him with it. Blood spurting out everywhere. Many, many times. Yep. Um... But then his stab yeah, his wound, wound opens. opens up, and then this is great because a lot of the crowd start killing each other. Like he, the people yeah. grab the bird mask and they're stabbing Swan. It's like they're so caught up in the moment. Yeah, it's like it's all just a big production. And so the Phantom's like bleeding out, and he's crawling along the floor. And they're like crawling along with him, uh-huh. and then Swan gets picked up by the crowd and is like being yeah. not, not quite crowd surf, but like passed around. <laughs> yeah, and people are stabbing him. Um, but Phoenix kind of rushes to his side. And he takes the mask off. Yeah. She's, oh, it's Winslow. And we finally get the full look at his creepy, like, milky white eye and melted face. Yep. And he tried to tell her earlier that he was Winslow, but she didn't really re- take right. it. Because she was so caught up in the moment. But now, now she, it now clicks. Now she knows. The end. Yeah, she, she holds him tenderly as he dies. And it just ends. And the song called The Hell of It plays over the credits. Now, I love this song, too, because... I'm going to tell you why, and it's all about you, Jason. Yeah? You like to stop movies when the credits start. <laughs> this song is both really good and metaphorically I think is like really important to the film and mm. its narrative it is no I mean if, if there's a reason to watch the credits I will watch the credits <laughs> like if there's a fun song playing or something or it's a Jackie Chan movie um, and you're seeing all the outtakes I'll keep watching and this is sung by Paul Williams yeah 
And it's very clearly about Swan. Right. It's a good little ditty. Mm-hmm. I'm always worried there's going to be a stinger. Might be. Marvel's ruined me, and now <laughs> I think every movie should have a stinger. Most movies don't need stingers. I'm over stingers. They need, uh, like, pre-stingers. <laughs> you know, like the uh, Captain Spaulding thing. You know, How about you if you have... got something important to tell in your movie, you put it in your fucking movie? <laughs> Shots fired. Hit a nerve. Uh-oh. But Sorry. what if they were setting up for Sorry, Phantom I'm of sorry. the Paradise 2? Electric Boogaloo. I think that we'll find out that did not happen. Where there was another contract. <laughs> within a contract. And that, he, and that they both come back. Now this movie uh, tanked at the box office. Surprise. It yeah. made no money except, you probably know this, one place where it was unusually popular in Canada, mm-hmm. in Winnipeg. And they kept it there for quite a while. It played for like, what, six months or something? Yeah. For some reason, this one town loved this movie. <laughs> it's a happening place. That's where we need to go. I think, there's a, I think there's a documentary about it, right? Yeah, there is. The Phantom of the Winnipeg or something mm-hmm. like that? I haven't seen it. Me either. Oh, we should go. <laughs> make the pilgrimage? <laughs> yeah. I want to make the pilgrimage and go see the Tonto thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just wonder why it resonated in this one town. It's interesting. Well, I mean, it resonated with us. True, true. But yeah, this movie super flopped. Uh, I have a bunch of other fun notes. Let me rifle through them. Please. Um, so I think I hit all the connections of other things. Obviously, Phantom of the Opera, Faust, Frankenstein, Dorian Gray. Um, there's a little bit of Cask of Amontillado in there, just in them breaking him up in the recording studio. Right. Try to get him out of the way. Uh, pa uh, there are a lot of musicians that love this film and have definitely drawn things from it. Uh, notably, Daft Punk. Like They straight up in interviews will name-check this film. They say it's their favorite and that it was a foundational movie for them as far as building the like the artistry of their performances and stuff. Well, I definitely see that now. Yeah. <laughs> and then notably, uh, Paul Williams composed uh, some stuff that was on one of their albums. So, Or he was a guest. I don't remember. Okay. I think he was a guest. Yeah, one of their albums. Um, what else do I have? Let's see. We hit a lot of this along the way, which is cool. Oh, um, Sissy Spacek worked as a set dresser for the film. That's right. Who would, of course, later be in Carrie. Yep, Palma's so that's film. Another De Palma connection there. Uh, nope. Got and, all that. and this movie was introducing Jessica Harper. So this was well before. I actually did one other movie before this. Inserts, I think it was called. Oh, in the original screenplay for the film, uh, Swan was actually named Spectre, and it was meant to be a reference to Phil Spectre. Good thing they changed um, that. Wow. <laughs> they didn't want to go so like to the throat at anyone about anything, yeah. so they, they kind of just they, they leaned into the bird motif. But man, they tried to dodge that bullet. That would have been <laughs> Which eerily. that's all through the film, right? Because you've got Swan, and then the Phantom's costume is supposed to be kind of like an owl, I think, his mask. Mm-hmm. Um, which definitely, once he puts like the dark eyeliner around his eyes, it gets that vibe. Do you think... Then you've got Phoenix b- Bird. Um, Do you think the uh, creators of Getchaman were inspired by this? It's very close, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it is. It reminds me so much of G-Force. But Getchaman's pretty early. It might be from the 60s, even. I think it's 70s. I'm pretty sure. Mm, we'll get into that later. I know yeah. Jason might not get this, but the uh, mask is also very... Um, reminds me a lot of the Court of the Owls. 
mm-hmm. mask from, from the, Batman from the Batman yeah. storyline. Seventy two. So this actually predates. Oh, Gotcha Man predates this. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah. Listen, did oh, you hear Dustin's little? Uh, I like, heard that. Yeah. Oh. I knew. I knew. Well, I'm not going to argue with him when it comes to anime. Oh, so. oh, here it is in my notes. Uh, the music group he considered using for the Juicy Fruits was Shanana, but they were too hard to work with. Mm. Uh, let's huh. see what else. Uh, oh, there's a thing about like the casting on the film. So originally, um, the studio wanted Paul Williams to play Winslow, and then they had Graham on lock to be Swan. And then they wanted Peter Boyle to be Beef. Peter Boyle. <laughs> I can kind of see that. I and then um, that. Williams didn't want to be the Phantom because he didn't think he was like physically fit to be mm-hmm. that role. He thought he would do a bad job as it. And he didn't want to be seen as like this person that was against the record industry when he himself is like a prominent figure in the record industry. Makes sense. Um, then Boyle ended up being unavailable. And so Graham wanted to be Beef. And then Finley was who De Palma always wanted to be Winslow. And so when all this shakeup happened, he kind of got him in there for the role. Nice. Yeah, because the actor in Crime Wave that the producers replaced Bruce Campbell over Raimi's objections reminds me a lot of William Finley. Like his mm, performance true, and, yeah. and char- characteristics and everything. I can see that. Very much from this movie. Oh, and I have one last fun thing. It's a Phantom of the Opera-related thing. So obviously that's a key like source that they're drawing on for this one. Um, but the way it references things, it's not really to the original story because we have the whole thing of Winslow getting like disfigured. And that's in the original story, It's the, the Phantom was born deformed. But that's actually sourced to um, the 1943 film. And that was where they had him get disfigured by acid. Mm-hmm. Which is why now we have labels of acid. It says, do not throw in face. Yeah. <laughs> but that's such a classic origin story for all kinds of characters, right? Like uh, Two-Face from Batman. There's versions of the Joker where uh-huh. that's his his origin. Yeah. Uh, classic. Uh, not to mention the um, titular 80s film, uh, Phantom of the Mall. <laughs> Eric's Revenge. <laughs> Oh yeah, do you want to say anything about that film? Or? Fuck that film oh, okay. is what I want to say. <laughs> Thought so. Nice. <laughs> anything else? I think that's we exhausted. We got so much of this as we were going, which is cool. Yeah, yeah. Excellent, excellent. So, who would like to? I guess we should, should we save Michael's for last since yeah, he hasn't. He's seen got it. the freshest perspective. Yeah. You, how about you? Okay. Um, final thoughts, Dustin. I normally just give this five stars and go on about my life because sure. I love it. I love it so much. <laughs> I wanted to be a little more critical this time and okay. actually look at this as a film because mm-hmm. I was a little hard on Hedwig, even though I loved it too. Mm-hmm. So I thought I should give this the same treatment. <laughs> um, a little hard on Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Hmm. Still listening that? to that soundtrack though. No, it's great. It's great. Hey, um, but he said hard on. Yeah. I, I, I got and the joke. A little hard angry, on. And yeah, Angry Inch. inch. So yeah. It's, it's penis. <laughs> <laughs> so I think... Uh, <laughs> I think this is more a film first than a musical, which we know that because it was made to be a film. Right. But I think there's times where it kind of drags a little bit. And when I think about it, I think like there needs to be like one or two more songs in this movie. Notably two times where it kind of like sits for a while. It's just a film with no music is um, when Winslow gets arrested, that whole saga of him going to prison and everything happening in the paradise building up. We don't get another song until he's already the phantom and he's stalking the beach bums. 
Yeah, there could have been like a song in prison or something like mm-hmm. that. And yeah. then um, kind of once they cast Phoenix and are going to get beef, that's a long segment of like the interactions of the Phantom and Swan and then Swan picking beef and then them kind of promoing him. And there's little teasers of a song where he kind of like will sing a line or two. Mm-hmm. But then we don't actually get another full song until the stage show when it's the back-to-back of the undead and beef. Fair, fair. So I think both those parts kind of drag a little bit as a musical. So I think objectively I would be at like a four-star on this. Four-star? Okay. Because uh, I, I love everything about it. I love, like uh, we, we've established before, like I used to do a lot of stuff with music. Michael, you do too. So anything that's about music or the act of making music, and especially this where it's being critical of the record industry and popular music, I really dig all of that. I dig the way they've drawn all this stuff like Frankenstein and Phantom of the Opera and Faust and Dorian Gray and all of that and kind of synthesized it mm. into this very 70s, very over-the-top like story that kind of blends all that together and still does an interesting thing with it that's definitely unique, um, masterfully crafted on every level. Like The music's great. The, the, the cinematography's great. Um, whichever one of you said it earlier, I forget now. They're basically like De Palma, that's film school. Mm. Like, yeah. That was me. That was you, Michael. Yes, that was... It's that was super my great. intelligent comment. <laughs> it's good. It, it, it'll go on the uh, slipcase when they release it, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, so I, I love it. I think it's great. Um, I, I'm solid on a four star. Okay. Awesome. I don't know how you guys made it three episodes, four episodes without my intelligence. We stumbled along. Yeah, they weren't very good episodes. I'd say people were just like, this <laughs> podcast just turned dumb. That's why you got to the end and I was just like, I fucking hate the sadness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's a film. I didn't like it. I didn't like it. But yes, um, Jason, uh, what are your thoughts? Uh, I agree with you. Maybe one or two more songs in there. However, I do appreciate the brevity of the movie. Like it, mm-hmm. it never really lags. You know, uh, it moves along a nice pace. A um, little bit more music, sure. I'll take more music. Mm-hmm. It's good music. Um, I don't really have any harsh criticisms of the movie. I, I love what it has to say. You know, it yeah. skewers the record industry without being, as you said, they didn't point out, like, con the guy Spectre. It didn't get yeah. to, it's like, you know who you are. You know, we're making this movie, you know who you are. You can get the message and it's easily relatable and digestible yeah. without uh, starting a bunch of lawsuits. Right. Even though this film had a lot of lawsuits around it. And it, and the, uh, the message works for the movie industry, too, because right. how many aspiring artists with integrity they just want to get their vision up on screen but it gets mutated and and changed by everybody who thinks that they know better or it will sell better Mm -hmm. and then even the way they exploit people too because you look at the way swan was casting the women for his production right and then you go to like harvey weinstein or something like that yeah yeah uh man i don't know i I would probably give it a 4.5 I'm not sure where that 1.5 is missing. <laughs> um, no boobs. This is true. That would have helped. <laughs> Automatic half star if there's boobs. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what's keeping it from being a five-star movie for me. But I, it's so much fun. Like, I've watched this mm-hmm. several times now, and it never gets old. Um. I go out of my way to tell people about it now too. Yeah, because you were right in picking this one, I think, because it is lesser seen in the scheme of things. Right. Yeah, it, it is such a cult film because this is this is how cult movies are made. You get um, a singular director with a singular vision making a movie. He's not making it to be weird or avant garde, no. you know. 
it was made to make money, but also still retain some integrity. And it bombs. You know, it goes nowhere. But then later, people eventually start picking it up and talking about it. Mm-hmm. That's, it's, that's cult, man. This is a great example of a and cult. And it's one film. of those things that's a little bit, you know, before its time. Yeah. If it had come out at a different time, right. probably I mean, this would have done just, better. This was like early 70s, and they already know how bad the music industry is. Even you know, if it, was it got worse. A few years <laughs> later, and it came after Rocky Horror, I think then people would have been more primed to yeah. like accept this film. Yeah, but then it would have just been called a ripoff. So. I still think it would have gotten more acclaim, though, in the wake of that. It would have got more attention, mm-hmm. no doubt. So, yeah, I'm at 4.5. All right, man of the hour. Your first time seeing it, what did you think, Michael? First off, it was a shit ton of fun. Mm. Um, first off, it was shit. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> it was a giant pile of shit. <laughs> no, so I remember you guys showed me this trailer at one point, and I was like, holy shit, I need mm-hmm. to see this movie. This looks absolutely crazy. Um it was different than what I was expecting, I think. Um, it, and by that, not necessarily a bad thing. It was a little bit crazier yeah. than I was expecting. Um, I There's so much that I love about it. Um, I love how over the top all of the set pieces and all the costumes are. Because it takes into ambiguity. And I think that when you make something ambiguous like this does, it can be timeless. True. Yeah. You know, like by not naming somebody, by right. not doing this, or by, by almost, re- this almost feels like it could have taken place in an alternate universe. Yeah, the future mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. And by doing that, you make it, you don't date it. In a way, it's like a fairy tale almost. That yeah. You keep referring back to. Like when you watch it, it's this very 70s. But at the same time, it's not mm-hmm. because it's so artistic that it takes it out of it that it could be at any time. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that the themes carry through to where they can fit at any time. It's stuff you've oh, already definitely. said, you know, like if you would have dated it to that time, which there are times where sometimes I feel like um, things like Rocky Horror and Shock Treatment have dated themselves in certain ways. I don't feel like this one did, you know, maybe mm, by the point, maybe by the music and some of the technology of the time. But I think too, the way they have such a range of music where you've got like the doo-wop song, you've got the surf rock song, right? There's such a range. It kind of, it touched on country. It touched on pop. It touched on glam rock, you Mm -hmm. know, like Mm -hmm. the only thing it doesn't really have is like rap, I guess. Cause it's not really for the seventies. Yeah. (laughs) It's not really there yet, but, um, I don't know. I really enjoyed watching it. I wasn't really bored by it. I will say that I do, agree with the criticisms that there could have been another song or two. Yeah, even to, just one more, I think. Just to make it really, to drive home that musical feeling. Because mm-hmm. um, I do think that's one of the themes that carries through on musicals, is that your song... It's almost like when we did the anthology film um, uh, for Cat's Eye, and the cat was the connector. Yeah, the through line. It's almost like music is the through line for the story and musicals. I mean, it is what that is, but... This sometimes this landed on it's just more of a movie, right? Than it is a musical, like it forgets to be a musical sometimes because it's it is telling a great story, but then you're like, hey, where's the where's yeah. the music though? And I felt the same way about the one I mentioned earlier, Anna and the Apocalypse. Mm. There's sometimes it forgets, like, whoops, we need a good <laughs> catchy song here because we're just too into the movie. Right. But all that being said, I'm still at four and a half. Nice. nice. I nice. would not say five just because this isn't one that I think I would be like in love with well I, I realize why now why it's missing the point five for me i need more beef, <laughs> I, need more beef. <laughs> I need more beef in this movie we all need more beef yes 
Uh, it was disappointing to see beef come and go so quickly, <laughs> but I'm not sure the movie could have stood <laughs> having more of him because you enjoy him so much that... Mm-hmm. Take attention. Yeah, you're right. It would take attention away from the Phantom and everything. Mm-hmm. And as much as I love the Phantom... His look is awesome. Iconic. Oh, yeah. It's I would like, say iconic. All-time greatest looks ever. Yeah. Um, as much as I love the Phantom, he's a shitbag human being. Oh, yeah. So it's hard, you know, like, that's the reason why you love beef. <laughs> it's because he's not. <laughs> he just um, wants to make music, man. And, and that's kind of where it differs a l- for me a little bit, because I think, like, in Phantom of the Opera, you still have a bit of sympathy mm-hmm. for the Phantom. I, I don't have sympathy. Not Gerard Butler. Well, Fuck that version. Ugh. Ugh. If, you, if you've ever heard him talk about that movie, it's yeah. really funny. He's uh. like... He's so Scottish, and he's like, I don't know how the fuck I got this. <laughs> he's like, I can't sing. I don't really know why I got this. At least he's conscious of the fact. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, sorry. Um, more importantly, in Weber's Fan of the Opera, which is the one that I know the most, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. There's still a lot of sympathy that you can have for the Phantom. I don't really have sympathy for <laughs> for this one because he's just such a... But he's been tortured. He's been put through the ringer. I mean, he's 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 maniacal. He's a little insane. He had this great vision, and it was twisted. Yeah, uh, it's not his fault. Yeah, I don't think that gives an excuse for that. But, <laughs> but he did kill B. If you're right, this is a sin that cannot be forgiven. <laughs> we I, were... I still maintain he warned him. <laughs> he did warn him. <laughs> he even made it rhyme so he could remember. Anyone that tries dies. That's true. Yeah. Uh, I had a ton of fun with it. I'm really glad you picked it awesome. and didn't pick whatever else you were thinking of doing. Because this one, I think, is probably more fun. <laughs> <laughs> probably good. I'm glad. Well, I'm glad okay. you enjoyed it. I really am. <sighs> so that brings us to my pick. Oh yeah. What are you gonna do? Well, you gotta finish this off. I also was torn, much like Jason, with two options. Mm. Um, I realized as we were going, we've had two musicals that are both about musicians and trying to be stars and famous and all that kind of stuff. Yep. Uh, and there's a little movie that I need to get vindicated called Legend of the Stardust Brothers, <laughs> which if you're a regular listen, you know it was going to be the first episode of the show before it got vetoed. Um, and so I yeah. realized that now would maybe be the perfect time because it would complete that set and also vindicate that film. However, I also think if we do that, then it makes this musical block weird because it's like we've only focused on one type of musical. That's true. And so that's a little weird too. So I'm going to go... With my other issue I need to resolve, which is that we've not talked about Shion Sono this year. <laughs> well, you have. <laughs> As a film that we, that we oh, yeah, have covered. Right. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and wouldn't you know it, in the range of the many genres that he has covered, mm-hmm. he too has done a musical. Of course he has. So we are going to be talking about 2014's Tokyo Tribe, which is a uh, live-action dystopian martial arts rap battle musical. <laughs> Okay. Based okay. on Japanese manga. Is there some sort of weird, iffy website we probably shouldn't go to? We have to go get this? Or? I like that you said that because normally that is what happens with me. Uh-huh. It's either it's on a streaming site or you have to jump right to being a pirate. <laughs> However, it's on Prime Video. It's on Prime and you can rent it for $1.99. Oh my God. I never ask people to rent stuff on this show. I'm asking you to rent this one. This seems a little too mainstream for you, Dustin. Um, I don't know about this. <laughs> It's going to get crazy. Just buckle up. All right. You should, Jason, you should see the poster. Well, I've, I've seen. Actually, this is one I've been wanting to see for a long time. It's on my radar. So I'm, I'm anxious to, to see it. I'm glad you picked it. It's going to be fun. All right. We shall see. All right. Um, 
So this is the part where I usually tell you to uh, tweet us or whatever. <laughs> right now, man, with this current state of Twitter, you just fucking do whatever no, you no, want to do. No, don't worry. Elon stopped it. He made it very clear. If you're a parody account, it has to be in the description and the title. I don't know if you That'll guys. Fix them. I don't know if you guys have seen the the thing the fallout of the people who have created parody accounts and then tweeted. <laughs> oh Jesus shit about it, Christ! Yeah. It's so fucking funny. Um, it's crazy, but we're on there still. Yeah, we are. We sharing don't, the same shit. I don't think we have a blue check. No, we don't. We no. never will. Um, oh, you won't know who is the real genre <laughs> exposure. We don't have eight bucks a month to pay them. <laughs> That's actually really true. <laughs> I mean, we don't. We have to scrape it together. We don't Not, have I mean, I don't want to pay the fucker anything anyway. That would but. cut into our podcast hosting fees. Um, <laughs> Anyway, we do have a ton of fun when you guys send in um, mm-hmm. your thoughts because it really helps yeah, th- us. Thank you for the people that commented and told us your uh, Halloween comfort films that you did. Yeah. yeah. That was fun. Yeah. And it uh, it really helps us feel connected to you mm-hmm. guys that we're not, you know, that people are actually. I mean, we know you're listening because we watch our download things and yep. see who's listening. But it's nice to know that. We like interaction. We like yeah. communication. We're, we don't really have anything going on in our lives. <laughs> it's just you listeners. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, on that note, <laughs> uh, no, it's been, it's been really fun talking about this one. I hope you guys take a second to, uh, to go watch this if you haven't seen it. Oh, yeah. This is a must-seek album. It's streaming everywhere. You might have to pay a little bit of money to rent it. I didn't. Oh. There's I've a got the blue. There was a, something. If you've got a Roku mm-hmm. and you search Phantom of the Paradise, there's some weird-ass channel. Mm. Just called like movies.to or something. That, really? That Celicon just watched and it didn't show up anywhere. It, did, it didn't for me either. You're going to huh. learn you can't trust, just watch. I guess you can't. But <laughs> it, it looked like it It was some app that just said free. And I was like, well, why not? I'll just <laughs> sure. click that. How I, many computer viruses do you have? <laughs> I don't know. but I, Well, yes, my penis could be bigger. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting this weird one recently about like um, bent penis medication. <laughs> Why? I don't know. Weren't you all talking about that one day? Your devices are listening to you. Well, my wife said that she was watching my Hulu account, and she kept getting ads for some bent penis medication. <laughs> oh, right. It's just a bunch of bent carrots. <laughs> and I know, I mean, I don't think it's bent. Well, I think it's okay. I don't know. Listeners, write in and see what you, tell us what you think of Michael's penis. <laughs> Is it bent? We'll post a picture for you. <laughs> uh, this has gone off the rails. Um, I think you're ending the episode. Maybe I don't. I don't know anymore. You know what? Right in. Smash the like. <laughs> hit the subscribe. Get a dick pic from Michael. Oh shit. Okay. It's been a lot of fun, guys. Um, as always, you have been listening to Genre Exposure. Bye, everyone. Take care. listening to the prescribed films podcast network home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment the shows on this network all have a common goal providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media the pfpn hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com thanks for listening (laughs) 